from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injection of rumor and innuendo, all for the fire panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Michael Bauer, Democrat Michael Carbonaggi, Republican Jeff Holm, and Republican Mike Miller. Our program tonight comes to you from our old base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com and also live on Facebook, the Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. And, again, uh, also uh, keep in mind that wherever you're listening, we really want your participation this evening. Another, we got another great full two hours of discussion. In the second hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Sheriff uh, Mark uh, Napier. He is the sheriff of uh, Pima County, Arizona, and he is going to give us a first-person, up-close-and-personal assessment of the border as he sees it as a professional law enforcement uh, uh, agent in that part of the country. Uh, but let's, let's begin. Uh, there's so many, I don't even know where to begin. But I'm going to start with you, Michael, because I know you've got opinions. Okay. The president uh, yesterday came up with a plan that he hoped that would end the government shutdown. Yes. And he wanted to make a case for his wall, his protections. He didn't call it a wall. He, he, he elaborated that it could be slat steel fencing and a lot of other stuff. And he also, he talked about uh, the DACA kids, yes. the DACA population, giving them a three-year temporary uh, you know, protection from the government. So my question to you is, because a couple of week, couple of months ago on this program. You and I cut a deal. You and I, we cut a deal, and right. we said the wall for the DACA kids. So they didn't come. They didn't go all the way because this is temporary. Right. But uh, the Democrats said it's a non-starter. Is it, in your view? Well, let me start first with what I like very quickly yeah. about what the president proposed. He proposed $805 million for drug detection at ports of entry on the southern border. Now, 90% of the illegal drugs are estimated to come into the United States through ports of entry from Mexico. Yep. And of the, all the vehicles coming in through ports of entry, less than 20% are inspected. So having a great deal more inspection tech, technology to inspect these vehicles is, a, is, is well needed and much overdue. Secondly, he proposed funding an additional 2,750 uh, Customs and Border Patrol agents. Wonderful. We need more agents on the border. He also proposed funding 75 new immigration judges to try to cut down on the backlog mm-hmm. for adjudication of political asylum claims. He also proposed $800 million for humanitarian assistance. All great stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, let's deal with what he did wrong. Okay. All right. He suggested... So, every, so, every, so as everything that he gave to the Democrats, you liked. <laughs> but now we're going to get into the things that you don't like, which are the things he wanted in return. I'm talking about what needs to be negotiated. Okay. That, that, so, first of all, he proposed uh, for the seven to $800 million, uh, persons covered by DACA that they would get three-year temporary residency in the United States. Let's understand something, and even the news channels got some of this wrong. There are an estimated 1.9 million dreamers. Dreamers are kids who are brought to this country at the age of 16 or younger by their parents, 
and, and they're considered dreamers because they didn't do this voluntarily. They were brought by their parents. Right. And, and of the DACA program that Obama established by executive order, about 700,000 of those 1.9 million dreamers registered. Okay. So that leaves another so, 1.2 uh, million dreamers. So I want to I wanna, I wanna get, get everybody else. Here. I want to get Jeff Hum, who's one of our card-carrying Republicans. I want to get engaged, okay. everybody. Then we'll come back to your specifics. Okay. Go ahead. So two, port- two important clarifications. The, the um, establishment of DACA was at the time the policy was created. Right? So it's not just rolling 16 years, anybody who comes in 16 years. It's anybody who is 16 or younger as of 2008. Right, right, right. right. So that was 10 years ago right. already. Yes. Um, and most dreamers, I mean, this, this is the thing, is, is that um, dreamers are not kids <clears throat> anymore. They're, they're in their late 20s to early 30s, just like I am, right? Okay. And, and there has been a lot of time. In that time, since that policy has passed, to, to attempt right, to, to folks, be, before we get too much into the weeds on the yep. specifics of this, which I want to, we got two hours to do it. I want you to talk about the politics of it. The, um, the, the president sure. he made he made this proposal yesterday, and Nancy Pelosi shot it down even before he delivered the words. Well, and and it's predictable, right? Uh, they uh, both. Both Chuck and Nancy have said that they are not willing to give him the wall under any circumstances. This is incredibly favorable conditions that you would not get under any other Republican, and it just shows that the Democrats want to keep immigration as a wedge issue. Michael Carbonaggi also joins us. Nice to have you with us, also a Democrat. What's your reaction to the president's thought and what he's doing now with Jared Kushner? They believe that they can go and they can talk to individual rank-and-file Democrats in the House and pick them off and get them to turn against their leadership. How really, in, in districts that have been won by Donald Trump? Open the government, and then we talk. Oh, right. yeah, that's, right. that's why. That's give us, give us what we want, why? and then why? we'll maybe it's talk. Because, because right now, right. Donald Trump's engaged in hostage-taking, oh, and, it, hostage and if, he gets, if he gets this, Mike, call it what it is, if he gets this, why do we not believe he's not going to do this again the next time he gets Here's something? Here's my question. That Rush Limbaugh calls him and says, there's 30 members of the Freedom Caucus. Mm. They're determining what happens with the, con- with the country right now. Give us what we want or the government stays shut down. All right. Here's my question to you. The Democrats, over the last 25, 30 years, they've been in charge of government or, or levers of government for a number of years with, with absolute power in some cases. Why did they not do anything to solve the immigration crisis when they had all the marbles? So, but, but the government was not shut down. It was operating. Everybody on full pistons. And you know what? Nothing got solved. Uh, so I'm happy. We, we so if a, somebody the, says, hey, you, you did it when you were focusing all your attention. You had the opportunity, and you blew it. So there was a bipartisan solution, a bipartisan immigration reform solution that, that Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin worked on. And that's really when we talk about DACA. That's where we got to. Right. There, there, there was a solution that it <clears> said, listen, and this is what's so heart-rendering is that these young people were told, come out of the shadows and register with the government. You've been in the shadows right now. You've been living in fear of deportation to a country that you don't know. Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico, you came over here as a baby. That's not your, your country you associate Only with. Only seven, oh, listen, with Obama as the president, with the words being articulated by Barack Obama, right. only 700,000 of the 1.2 million or whatever the high number is, only 700,000 believed Barack Obama. And what the president is saying now right. is, I want to take the 700,000 that cared enough to come out of the shadows and sign up. I'm going to focus on them. I'm not going to focus on the others that never came out of the shadows. 
Because they were too afraid well, to come out of the shadows. Why? When Barack Obama was president? Because they were scared. Because, was Barack Obama, because, was he going to round them up and, and, and deport them? No, Barack Obama wasn't, but you know, the, there's a pendulum, a political pendulum, and if the pendulum shifts, you know, people f- feared we would have exactly what we have right now. When we, when we come back, I got Mike, give me, give me 15 seconds right now on, on your response. I, why would they, why would, are you, does a strike make sense? When, when you have a strike and the union walks out, Open then they say, the I'll government. tell you what, let's give up the strike and then we'll negotiate. No, you don't do that. Open the, the Democrats gover- will this walk how, away. This is how you negotiate in a democracy. That's not how you But the Democrats aren't negotiating. They're just walking away. The proof of what happened this the, weekend. This is, government shut down. When we come back, 1-800-723-8289, your response to the government shutdown. Do you care? Are you affected at all? Back shortly. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Uh, back in Chicago. Thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. Um, if you were, or I'm going to ask our Democrats. I'm going I'm I'm to ask Mike first. I'm gonna, I, we have a lot of Mikes I tonight. I'm going to ask Michael Carbonaggi. Right. Yeah, what's the Mike? Come on. No, that's, the other, that's the other right. Mike. Yeah, but I, that's right. We have three Mikes, yeah. and, and we have a Sorry. our Michael. Go ahead. I made a comment before the show that I thought this was a wonderful week for for Mr. Trump. Okay. And you had a funny reaction. Yes. And I'm going to read this very quickly. Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. Proof that you, the Democrats are going to eat their own. BuzzFeed. All he has to do is oh, say man. BuzzFeed, okay. Okay. and we know okay. that there's a lie. Okay. The whole border issue, we can neg- the women's march, yes. undermining everything about the left. Uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, feelings are more important than facts. Right. If you want what is a socialist, this is what a socialist is. The State of the Union. The fact that she would use that, that the leader of the <laughs> House would say to the President of the United States, "We don't want you to come there." I hope to heck he takes up North Carolina or somebody and presents it to the Ooh, people. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I think she's for those of you listening on the radio. For those of you listening on the radio, you can't see Mike clutching his pearls right now because Donald have, Trump's going to have to give this <laughs> oh from the White and House. One more, one, 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 one more. I have, and it is clear that the Dems <laughs> are moving further and further left. Absolutely. Okay, and that's been, that's that been clear. The problem with your theory. That's been clear with the problem with your theory is so Trump comes up with a proposal yesterday, and it was a wonderful proposal. Absolutely. Do you think that Mike Lee from Utah? The Jim Langford from no, Oklahoma some, right. and Tom Cotton from Arkansas are going to vote for Trump's proposal if it comes to the Senate for a vote. They're absolutely them. not. I it's not going to give Republican support. And he will give them something, and he will get so, their votes. So two Back years, Carbonaggi. So to, to my two response, two years ago today, Donald Trump swore an oath <clears> to preserve <throat> and protect the Constitution. Okay, where are we going with this? Yeah. He shut the government down. Okay, so what's have to do he's with at, anything? What? What I'm saying is that in two years, he's had a chance to show that he's a person who keeps his word and he has integrity. And now he's saying, trust me. 
So what I'm saying is open the government, and then we'll continue to I have a discussion. Of, of all the arguments against yeah. the shutdown, that's probably the worst one I've ever I've heard. Not, yeah, open not the heard government, and then we're going to have a discussion about the, immigration the and infrastructure and other issues. The fact that the issues. Democrats won't even begin to – I thought his speech yesterday – was wonderful. Again, I didn't vote for the guy. I thought, thought it was his, wonderful. Well, it was wonderful in terms of DACA and, and and the money for the border. All those things that you. Wait, wait, if my, you're a DACA person, if, you want to be your. If Pelosi is going to reject Offer him permanent that. residency. <laughs> what are the chances she will but, but accept but Mike, anything but Mike, if the will government's you, will reopened? You admit that this She's is, not going to accept anything. But, but if. So, okay, I'm sorry, go on. Two, two things, right? Let's be clear, right? Um, pending a um, unconstitutional <clears> injunction, none of the DACA recipients have any protected status. This actually gets them out of legal limbo and puts them in protected status while the while For Congress three years. while Congress can come up with, with further time. Right now they have no protected status. Right. And if not for a universal injunction from I think it's New York, yes. which which is overstepping the bounds of that jurisdiction, <clears throat> they would have no legal status at all. Here's uh, my assuming point. the president. What is assuming just Obama's just a executive order you is criticized Michael Bauer. Okay, you said there were parts of this a proposal that the president uh, delivered yesterday that, that you agreed with. Yes. My question is this. The president has put it on the record, okay? Yes. He knows what he wants. What he wants is going to the, to the Senate. It's going to the Senate this week. Yes. Mitch McConnell yep. has promised that there's going to be a debate on it. My question is, where is the Democratic proposal? Where is the proposal from Nancy right. Pelosi where she calls a press conference with Chuck Schumer and says, here's what we want. Here are the five bullet points that we want. Where's that? Wait a minute. Where, Trump, just for, forget, I'm asking Michael Carmenaggi. Okay. Where are the Sorry. five bullet points so that if I'm a voter, I can look at what President Trump wants and I can look at what the Democrats want and I can say, okay, I'm going to call my congressman and I'm going to tell him to do one of two things. Where is the piece of paper that says what the hell the Democrats want? They got everything they want. No, no, no. Open Michael. The, and, I, and I know it sounds like a broken record, but it it's does. the truth. Open the government. We can but, have a discussion about a, immigration but that's policy. A, but that's a non-starter. Because right now this is because, hostage because, taking. You know what that means to me? That means to me that the Democratic leadership in Congress, they haven't thought one second right. about they what – they have not thought one second about solving a problem that's been a national problem, whether it's a crisis or not, for 30 years. They haven't Bruce, given one there is a, thought there, there to was it. A, there was the a only thought they want to give There was it. a bipartisan solution that Donald <clears throat> Trump personally tanked. I give Lindsey Graham some credit. He has worked his side of the aisle then why don't they reintroduce it why don't they re, why don't they reintroduce it because right now it's hostage shaking while the government is shut down open the government and we'll say you want to not shut down so so the reality by, by the way, just before real quick well, and, say, and like, two-thirds this, of the, the way, government is not really shut clear, down the republicans shut this down in december for uh, before nancy pelosi got sworn in this is a, a Republican shutdown that happened when, when McConnell wouldn't pass this in the Senate. Leader, so so, so for, uh, talking, for everybody to step like back and say I, I, or I, I agree that was a political move. I'm saying right now. It's been 20 days since right they got inaugurated. Right now, Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi could call a press conference and say what their plan is. Now, everybody already knows, well, we want to get the government back together again. Forget that. Let's say that's a non-starter. So that the American people can look at, here's the president's plan, here's the Democratic plan. Yep. And are there things that are on this plan that are on this plan? Yeah, I think there probably is. Okay, Bruce. So as you know, I tend to see a lot of things through a political lens. You do. So let's look at the political lens as of today, January 20th, a day after the president <clears> made <throat> his proposal on, uh, um, to the nation. Right. The Democratic Party is unified 
on the concept that we want the government open before we will negotiate. The Republican Party is now badly split. I assure you the Freedom Caucus of the House will not support what Trump said yesterday. I, you know, Ann Coulter has ripped him to shreds. So? And, you know, well... He is someone who – she is the queen the regent in this – And Coulter has gone back and forth on whether she likes Trump or hates yeah, Trump. She, on she hates him day. now. Yeah, but this – this, You know what she said? She said we have Jeb Bush now. She yeah. is a minor – in my view, she is a minor figure in this country. I would agree. She's a minor figure. So uh, let me see what Mitch now, McConnell can do with his caucus and getting uh, votes for this proposal. Ain't going to happen. His but, caucus I mean, ain't going to vote for but this. You, but, you, but you said that the American people – they want the government open to get. Yes. Okay. Well, what's being done to do that? What? How are they acting on that? And how do you know that every Democrat wants the government open again? Maybe they don't. I think every Democrat does. Democrat the, House the, passed, government. the House passed do you appropriations want the government, bills. Do you want the government open again, Mike? I, I want border security, <clears throat> and it'll open after that. It's the only thing yeah. he has to negotiate with. So, so, so pay, so pay the guy who's got the the gun to your head. Is that what you're saying here? Pay the guy. It's not a. Is that what you think about a strike? That, For heaven's sake! How, how is, is this? You're calling I, this a strike? I, who's on strike? No, who's I, the employer and the no, employee in this I'm relationship? It's a tool. It's a <clears> tool I just got back. Actually, it's more. It's more. It's more a after tool lockout. used by unions to get to the negotiating table. This is a tool used by the president to try to get the Democrats to come to the table. And and I'm not speaking for my my colleague here. Many of us on on the conservative side, we're perfectly fine with DACA. It's how it was implemented that was the problem. Congress yes. should have done well, this. Well, the so president had I no agree, right I, I, to I do what he you. did. But, but, None. To, but, but, to, but to Mike's point here about getting McConnell, the problem is, I think, and I can't speak for my friends on the conservative side, it comes dangerously close to the A word, amnesty. And the fear I have is that when you talk about a deal, we've seen so many deals come and go with this president and he i don't know who's running white house office of legislative affairs right now but from what i understand he got on tv right now without yesterday without mcconnell and his team even knowing he was going to go on tv Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure what the deal is of three years if it becomes one year if it becomes five years if rush doesn't like it because it's too close to become no years but the fact that it was rejected so let's do this let's open up the government and let's let's open up the government as we do in a democracy and the legislation it was rejected out of the president said the president said in his tweet this morning <laughs> listen in his tweet this morning he said that amnesty might be used yes. in the future yes. for a bigger deal he's a now, deal maker right but my point is how many people listening to the program and how many people at this table like that idea is it? Don't you like that idea? Amnesty? I don't know what amnesty well, but, is. But, you know what? I, if I he want, wants, I just want he the is basically Listen, saying, Bruce. "I'm going to make a bigger deal." Okay. When but I when I read that tweet, he said, "I'm going to make a bigger deal." He talks. Which, there's no talk behind. There's no action behind tweets, the talk. But it shows oh, there's you. There's no action behind his tweets. It shows you. It shows you how. It shows you response. One at a time, folks. We're getting some calls because too many people are talking at the same time. And they're used to hearing just me. <laughs> it, it shows you. It shows you just. It, you know, to your point that that this is the beginning position, not the final position. The fact that the Democrats rejected it out of hand shows you how one side has come to the table and the Democrats have not. We have passed. Hold on, we hold have on. passed six, seven appropriations bills. Six we've passed for the entire year, 
and won't we pass a continuing resolution in the House to fund continuing resolutions. Home, wait, Homeland Security for a month, for a month just to try to negotiate this stuff. Continuing what resolutions. Wrong, what is wrong with opening the government and having a <clears> continuing <throat> resolution for Homeland Security Because keep it going for a month so we can get these issues ironed because out? Because continuing resolutions are what got us into this, this shutdown. The fact that the government is always funded by continuing resolutions makes the next shutdown just an inevitable political fight. It's been happening for five or six years. And, and Bruce, continuing resolutions are a problem. Question out there, I need an answer. Do, do, we want the, do we want the government open? Yes, I want federal employees to go back okay. to work. And I just want to say to them, I was a, before I had my current job, I was a federal prosecutor at the SEC for a number of years. And I know my, I've talked to my colleagues. They've been home for 30 days. Um, it doesn't affect you in your day-to-day life, but I'll tell you right now, they had investigations going with broker-dealer fraud, Ponzi schemes, yeah. all this. Uber can't go forward with its IPO because it needs a sign-off from the SEC. But I want to say is would any of us show up and work a day, a job for 30 days in a row without getting paid? I don't know. The studio might be kind of empty. Um, hats off to them for doing the job and not getting paid. And I want to give a shout-out, too, because before we came over here, I was at a fundraiser. Coast Guard station that serves uh, Navy Pier up to Highland Park, uh, 25 active-duty members there, three of whom who have uh, infants, eight of them who have newborns. They've been working for 30 days without a paycheck right now. Average age is 20 years old. And who do they blame? Um, I don't bring up politics to them for a minute, but I'd say if you get a chance, go to the U.S. Coast Guard Mutual Assistance website, make a donation. It gives a cash grant and a low-interest loan. You know, it's my understanding. Keep in mind, all of these workers who are not working now, are they are entitled going to be to back paid pay. someday. Okay, including, so. Including, let me finish, including the non-essential government workers that have been out of work for 30 days. Why they're non-essential and still getting paid, I don't know. Well, I'm just a taxpayer. Back shortly. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Um, we're going to introduce our guests or have them introduce themselves, and we'll begin with Michael Bauer. Um, I have uh, been involved in a number of charitable and political activities for many decades. I currently serve as the co-chair of the state of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. I am the campaign chair for one of the mayoral candidates in Chicago. And uh, Michael, I want to ask a question. You yes. you were appointed by Governor Rauner to yes. your position. He is no longer the governor. He is no longer the. Are you likely, or would you like to be renominated to that commission? I by certainly the new governor? hope that uh, Governor Pritzker will reappoint me. And you've known him for a long time. I've known him for a long time. He came to my dad's funeral many years ago. Okay, um, Mike Miller. Good evening. I'm a, uh, an economist by training, uh, University of Pittsburgh, 1980, and I am an associate professor of economics at DePaul, where I do uh, a, what is called applied macro. We look at the real world of Fed policy and 
government policy. And my research is on, of all things, a tiny little country in the Middle East called Bahrain. Okay, very good. If I ever have questions for it, I'll, I know what to call. You need to call me. Are they Michael Carbonaggi yeah, joins us. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, thanks for having me on, Bruce. Uh, former aide to Senator Paul Simon, then an aide to Senator Dick Durbin. I used to be a federal prosecutor for a number of years with the SEC in Chicago. Um, currently, I'm a commissioner with the Cook County Board of Review, and I'm the Democratic State Central Committeeman uh, for the 9th Congressional District. When did you uh, work for Senator Simon? I worked for Paul from 1992 to 1996, and then I worked on Congressman Dick Durbin's race, and then when he won, helped set up the Chicago office, and then I went to law school. Okay. All right. And uh, Jeffrey... Michael L. <laughs> yes, part of the uh, unofficial part of the Michael Caucus Welcome. here tonight. Thank you. Um, I'm the uh, club development chair for the Young Republican National Federation. Uh, that is a, a nationwide organization of uh, Young Republican chapters. I actually used to be the president of the Chicago chapter for about four years. Um, but uh, my goal is to uh, grow the party out in uh, different places. Uh, why our chapters tend to be counties or very large cities, uh, but Chicago and Atlanta um, both blue cities uh, happen to be two of the largest uh, YR chapters in the country, both about three to 350 members, um, and then, you know, trying to grow out in different areas. All right, very good. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Kevin listening to us in Austin, Texas on KLBJ. Whoop, are oh. you there? Nope, it sounds like he's not. Let's go to Brian and Roselle listening to us on the Internet. Hi, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, I'm a union electrician. I have Democratic leanings, but I am no fan of Donald Trump. Uh, you were asking a lot of questions at the start of the show, Bruce, about what do the Democrats want. Uh, the Democrats want to lock down the Hispanic vote. And when you listen to all the promises they make, they'll say we're not for open borders, but yet Democrats will never say who they want to keep out of the country. And then one other quick comment. All three major parties to this debate – both parties, Republican and Democrat, plus the mainstream media, are both horrible on this issue because they always focus on the border when half the problem is yes. visa overstays. Right. Right. But we never talk about that. It's always the border, the border, the border. Right. Half of them fly into the country, overstay their visas, nobody says anything about it, and nobody puts any pressure on the employers. Let's hear about that part of the problem. Well, that's what I said a couple of weeks ago, and I've said for a couple of years on this program. Unless you support E-Verify, and unless you're willing to go in and have some raids and, and lock up some employers and have them carted off to, to jail, uh, you're not serious about it. And I, you know, I'd, like, I'd like to see raids every night. But, but I think I, Brian, I'm sorry, I think Brian's making yep. a very important point about people coming into airport right. ports of entry. <clears throat> this has been a problem for many, many years, Democrat and Republican administrations, and no one wants to tackle it. But his proposal yesterday, I believe part of the $805 million would go for something like that. No, no, no. It it's, just, not? It's, just, it's just for technical inspection of vehicles at uh, the southern border. I thought it was for, for well, uh, at, was at some, points of entry. The number, the number I saw on— One of those things is for points of entry. The, the number I saw on, on yes. enforcement, I, when you gave the number earlier, I wasn't sure if it was included <clears> in this or not, because I saw it was $782 million. Yeah. It was about new border agents and law enforcement. Yes. So that could include people at ports of entry, right, because yes. CBP operates ju- at more than just the border. There is oh, no yeah. doubt that his, his numbers are right in terms of where a lot of the illegal immigrants come from. However— There's a concept in economics which is called moral hazard. And a moral hazard is created when you pass something that will actually lead to people behaving poorly instead of 
properly. Yes. Right. So if you tell people in Honduras and other places that this border is now not going to be secure, we're not going to put up a wall, we're not going to make it harder for you, it is going to lead to many more people, not fewer people, yes. coming north. Yes. yes, And that is going to be the and, crisis. And it's a short of miles through the belief desert. that this is somehow okay. It is right. the moment you've set up that, that moral hazard, we're going to pay the long-term Mike, price. Mike, would, would you also acknowledge, because part of what the president also talked about under the humanitarian uh, yes, he did. Uh, uh, heading, he said that he wants to have offices in Honduras and in Guatemala sure. Where citizens who want to come to the United States or seek asylum, they can go there and do the paperwork. Yes. Now, by doing that, does that not also encourage more people to come? Yes. Because it's easier. Well, yes, it is easier. So, is and, that good and it, or it, bad? I'm not sure. I mean, because here's one problem: is I think many Americans believe <clears throat> that you are allowed to ask for asylum just because of where you live is terrible. And we know that's right. not true. You have to be somehow right. uh, there's a credible threat. Credible threat. A credible threat. Yes, that's why yes. people from Cuba or whatever, they were allowed yes. to just come in. Yes. People think that we, we allow economic refugees to come to this country. Right. That right. is not true. Correct. And, and it would correct. be a disaster yeah. and, and if and we did. Important. And, and, Mike, and that's a good point, too. Is, is, and I'm first generation. My dad came over from Italy, and he followed a process at the time to, to migrate over here. This conversation a lot of times gets muddled because people separate, don't separate refugees from immigrants. Absolutely. And, ref- a and, and, and it's a very different. Yeah. And, and, and I will say right now, to Mike's <clears> point, <throat> too, about where the money is going in, we also need increased funding for immigration judges as well for those oh, folks. Sure. Which, which is part of the deal that Trump well, offered. But deal. It's been a part of a lot of deals. And when we open up the government, we can work on a comprehensive immigration. <laughs> I'll make another you follow the process and you show up Second, Brian. And, you, and you present at a yeah. port of entry as, as a refugee, yeah. that's the, the problem I have, Bruce, with your idea is go down to a local. U.S. office in Honduras or El Salvador where, you know, they're, they're trying to recruit your 15-year-old son to join a gang and they're going to kill a family if you don't. You go, you go present your paperwork and then you go home to wait to see how the U.S. government can process the paperwork. That's very different than what many of these refugees are doing, saying leave country and coming here because they can't stay in their town or village. And no, what, interesting, your ahead. story is very interesting because you say about your father. Yeah. Do you have no, no bad feelings that these people are jumping the line? Who's that jumping? your father Who, went through it the right way. Who, who's all, jumping all, As a Republican, all I've ever asked for is that people come through the front door, not through the back right. door. So, so, I would be willing to double but, legal but, immigration. But, 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 Mike, here's my problem with that is, is Donald Trump changed refugee policy and reduced the number of immigration judges at ports of entry and created a problem. We did have a structure and an orderly process that worked until Donald Trump oh, came did. in. But no, but, 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 but Mike, no, for decades. no, no, but Mike, I'm just, no, no, actually two years ago, Donald Trump changed the, pulled immigration judges off ports of entry. So now we have an enormous backlog of refugees. The very people that we can all agree and say, these people are in a nightmare situation and have to leave. These, well, some of these for, refugees are not refugees. Right. They are told on the way up, if Correct. you say the words X, Y, and Z, you become a refugee. And if we had right. All they have to do is lie. Like if we had immigration other, judges in a process. Know that people sometimes lie. We're going to go back to Brian in just a moment, but, but one other important number that uh, is, is, is referenced, and that's uh, the, the temporary, uh, the temporary protected workers. Protected status. Protected status. Protected, protected status. status. There's 300,000. That was the yes. number given by the president yesterday. Yes. Yes. And uh, these are people that, that want to come and work here. Because American industry needs them to come and work here. And earlier last week, before this all hit the fan, uh, the president gave an address to a group of farmers. And the biggest applause line in that was when he said, I want to help you bring people in 
because you need to have people work your fields. Right. They, I think he thought initially that, you know, by, by being tough on immigration, he somehow was going to get a big, big applause. He got the applause when he said, I'm going to make it easier for you to come in and, and, and work with people with TPS. So that seems to be, is there anybody on the Democratic side that would disagree with that? That sounds like a common sense TPS was point. set up because, uh, and it covers six countries, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Haiti, the Sudan, Syria, and Nepal, because either they had humanitarian crises or political crises so significant that the United States decided it was going to waive certain yeah. immigration restrictions and allow people to come in. And many of these people have been here for decades but under TPS. they were TPS. supposed to go and back. No. Well, yes, they were. I mean, temporary is in the name. Well, but they've been, here, the they've been here for yeah. decades. So what do, you, what do you do? Oh, yeah, I, temporary is, but temporary is in the name. They were supposed to go back. Now, certainly, if somebody's been here for decades, but speaking I, but of going back, Speaking of going back, we're going to go back to Brian oh, yeah. for the last word. Go ahead, Brian. Hi. Uh, well, you know, tomorrow is MLK Day, and he made his big I Had a Dream speech in 1963. And since that time till now, the population of Earth has doubled, and that's the issue. See, we never address the issue of the growth of human population on the planet. We have, an, we have another 3.5 billion people on Earth since King made that speech. And in the next 50 years, we're going to gain another 3 billion people. So we have to talk about how many people can realistically move into the United States. What's the limit? What's the proper amount? And what are we going to do about it instead of pretending like, well, you know, employers want workers, so we've got to let them in. Like you right, talk about right. the farmers. That's great. Yeah. How about the farmers pay all the social costs? How about the farmers pay the health care, the medical care, the uh, educational costs of their workers that they just have to have. See, we don't talk about that. It's always we've got to let them in for the, for the employer. Brian, well, actually, I, I think you're still, raising a global problem, yes. not just a U.S. problem, because with things that, that I would say are related to climate change, with drought, floods, etc., you're going to have millions of people, you know, for whatever, and, and famine, fleeing areas like South, South America, fleeing Africa, trying to go someplace where the conditions are better. And, and we, have, we are unprepared let's on, as a society on how to deal with this. Brian, we got to go. Thank you for expanding our global reach on Beyond the Beltway this evening. 1-800-723-8028. A reminder, after the break at uh, 7 o'clock uh, or whatever it is in your, your time zone, we've got a special guest from Arizona. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Michael Carbonato, you were making a point during the break. Let's put it on the air. No, I was just saying, talking about, you know, uh, 
it was Trump's statement yesterday that, that he gave from the White House. Um, was that from a position of strength or weakness? I think it was clearly from a position of weakness. He's at 37 percent right now. He's he's scrambling so he doesn't continue to lose people. And we were saying who's really left in that 37 percent. And I think it's really the Freedom Caucus. Um, and, and they're really driving so much of the conversation. Who are the other grownups in the room? Will it be Mitch McConnell? Will it be Jared Kushner? Will it be other people that can get to him? If they can, they still have to work through the Freedom Caucus ultimately because what, what is what what is your reaction to the NPR PBS Marist poll of Latino voters, mm-hmm. Hispanic voters yeah. that said that Donald Trump is more popular, his his ratings are up twenty percent since December, and a lot of Hispanics like what Donald Trump is doing. Not all. But a significant number do. I haven't seen the poll or the cross tabs. Oh, yes, I'd want right. to see well, the cross tabs. But it's NPR. It's NPR. And it's PBS. It so they're not likely. Well, but I want to see the cross tabs on any poll like that. I would speculate uh, that one of the th- reasons that Donald Trump appeals to a portion of the Hispanic population is that many Hispanics are religious con- Catholics, yeah. and, and Trump's anti abortion stance yes. plays significantly. And, and I've always thought. And they like a lot show. of Hispanics would migrate to the Republican Party Understand over the abortion issue. There's other part and uh, over same sex issues. Yes, same sex marriage. You're, you're over right. Both of them. On top of that, uh, an extensive amount of research has been done in econ to try to decide what is the effect of immigration. And one of the most important findings over many, many years okay. is that the number one group of people hurt by new illegal immigrants are former immigrants, yes. yeah. and those are going to be predominantly, given the numbers, they're going to yeah. be predominantly Hispanic. Yeah. And so who is getting reamed by the fact that more and more are coming in? Many Hispanics. Okay. So the idea of closing the door behind them or at least making people come in the front door is a perfectly reasonable change, solution. Change in subject. Uh, Jeff Hom, how significant was the BuzzFeed story this week, especially when Robert Mueller <laughs> took it down and basically said that the story was bogus, was inaccurate. Which is unprecedented, that, by the it, way. The fact, the, fact that, the fact that the special counsel would say, no, this is absolutely bonkers, right? And it's just one of two stories. Well, he said not. He said. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Accurate, not bonkers. I'm, yeah. I'm paraphrasing this. I can't hear, see him right? saying bonkers. It's, it is completely false, okay, was, was, I believe, the quote, right? I got and, the quote right here. BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and the characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. Yeah. Are not accurate. Okay, it's, thank you. It's what he so, said so and what he presented, and it's not equal to what BuzzFeed said. So it's said. not it's bonkers, a, and it's not that, but continue. Oh, it's just know. another example of how people in the media are trying to rush to get to the president, right? And it's it's interesting that over these hundreds of stories that have had to be corrected, like this one, they all happen to be errors in the same way. No, I want to ask Mike. I want to ask Michael. Overly, overly ask our favorable coverage. Sure. Okay, here's my question. No other uh, journalistic organization uh, ran with that story and gave it any verification or authenticity right. at all. Correct. But they all repeated it. They all repeated it, yes. Right, saying it was what, just BuzzFeed. Well, okay. Wow. What does it say to you as an as a observer of news and as a Democrat okay. when a story like this is repeated without any verification okay. of it? Okay. So, Jeff, this is one area where you and I are going to have a great deal of commonality. Excellent. All right? Because... <laughs> Because I, I think there is a general bias against Trump and the mainstream media. And stories that are too good uh, well, to check. Well, well, and, and by the way, I, I think that's because a lot of the media folks see the situation close at hand and, and are 
uh, unhappy campers. Let me put it and nicely. They... However, however, let me say this. Mm-hmm. With the BuzzFeed story, I can't tell you how many Democrats I know, including a lot of really smart lawyers, were saying, time to start impeachment proceedings based on a media report. All right. Let's, let's see this through. Let's get yes. the Mueller report right. and see what Agreed. evidence is really found and whether there's evidence or not. And I will tell you my personal bias here. I hope there's no evidence that the president was in, or his campaign was in collusion with Russia, Russian I agents. Completely agree. I hope there's no evidence that the president is perhaps a Russian agent because I, I, want, I would prefer this be fought out at the polls yes. in 2020. Sure. You're Absolutely. such a sensible man. I mean, but Absolutely. again, let's go back to – go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. This is an example of a trend where the, the press is trying to dunk on, on Donald Trump, and they end up failing spectacularly and feeding into the, the, the idea that the media is out to get him, which oh, – that, no, this How def- do you this see these stories and not come to that conclusion? one of his biggest – I think rallying points is that the media is out to get him, I or told you that. Yes. the media is out to embarrass him. And in this particular case, and they're just embarrassing they were out themselves. To embarrass him by by repeating a story that was not valid, and then was 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 debunked. And the, the thing and is, again, by the way, I, I received a number. This is this is my you know population of, of Facebook friends. I received at least three or four that said, "We got him." We right. got him. We got How many right. did you get, Mike? So, so did you I, get a few? I, but this is to Mike's point, too. I think it's going to be one of two ways. Either next year the voters mm-hmm. speak and he's not in office, mm-hmm. or if Congress wants to take action. But I think it's more and more everybody's on the same page on this. Let's let Mueller finish his investigation. I wish Mitch McConnell would take action to have the Senate vote to um, – because I know the House has a bill out there to say McCon- that M- Mueller has to finish. I, the one thing I thought interesting about Didn't this was— Bill Barr say that over no, and over no, but, again? But, 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 I, but I want to say one thing that was really interesting, and, and as a former prosecutor, that was interesting. This is when Mueller spoke up. He, he didn't speak up to dispute any of the other media reports about his investigation. He spoke up to correct the record on this one. So it makes you wonder— Because it was is, probably is, because it was so what ridiculous. Say, what does it say about everything else? Oh, it doesn't say. What it does, but what it does say, what it does say, we must remember. We must remember. This BuzzFeed is the one that made a big mistake with this report. BuzzFeed is the only the one from the dossier that released the dossier. Yep. None of the mainstream media repeated. They they all did what they did just in the last forty eight hours. They all repeated the bad news. Right. But nobody would put their name to it because it was bogus. It didn't happen. There's no evidence that it happened. And, and, yet, and yet it led to the investigation that's dominated uh, politics for the last uh, you know, year and a half. By the way, mark your calendar. Two years from tonight, are we going to be inaugurating a new president? Or are we going to be re-inaugurating Donald Trump? And if we, re-inaugurate, if we are re-inaugurating inaugurating Donald Trump... How depressed are you liberals are going to be? <laughs> Brutally. Back shortly. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway. And on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully 
but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Back in Chicago, thank you very much for joining us. Wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border, tonight is uh, tonight uh, on Beyond the Beltway. A couple of weeks ago on this program, I said that you know, with all the discussion about what's going on at the border uh, on, on the national shows, I wish more shows would spend some time interviewing people who actually work at the border, who have some suggestions, who see it every day. They may either like or dislike uh, what they hear the uh, the national politicians and the talking heads out of Washington have to say. So uh, we have reached out to uh, Sheriff Mark Napier. Uh, He is the Sheriff of Pima County, Arizona, and he joins us tonight on Beyond the Bellway. Sheriff, nice to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You have, uh, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, you have 125 miles uh, that border uh, Mexico. Uh, And my question to you is, as you look at this issue, what is your recommendation? If the President of the United States was sitting across from the table from you right now, what would you tell him that you need to deal with the issue in your county? Well, I think it would be a lot of what he said yesterday. Uh, I think he was spot on. Uh, there isn't a silver bullet solution to this problem. Otherwise, we would have already solved it. 
there, there's going to be physical barriers. They make sense. They have great efficacy in certain areas. But my county, as you, as you explained, has 125-mile linear exposure to the international border. We're the largest border county in the United States. And the topography and, and features, waterways, uh, land use restrictions, and all that will make it very impossible to have a, a physical barrier across all my county, much less the 2,000 miles international border. So we're going to have to implement uh, physical barriers where they make sense and we can do them and, and then support those with technology and human resources. It's really going to be a blend of all of those things, and I think that's now what the president is, is talking about. And I'm glad to see that change from what we heard two years ago, which seemed to indicate he thought it was possible to build a big, beautiful wall across all 2,000 miles of the international border, which is just not feasible. Have you heard from any Democratic leader, whether it's in the state of Arizona or a national Democrat, that has come up with a specific plan similar to what the president came up with yesterday? No, I'm afraid not. And I think that we've gotten too entrenched in this political argument. Um, and it's now more about which party wins than actually moving forward. And I think we sent people to Washington, D.C., of all political stripes, not to win for a political party or an ideology or a partisan uh, viewpoint, but to win for the American people. And that's fundamentally what we need here is a win for the American people. Um, there's no debate, I don't think, any rational debate about whether we need to secure the border or not. It is clearly a public safety issue with the drugs coming across our border and other transnational crime threats. It's most certainly a humanitarian issue, and I don't think anybody would debate that. And it is, it is a national security concern, simply because we don't know who's coming across the border, and we know that there are uh, hostile nations that would potentially exploit our border to insert bad actors into our country to, to bring us harm. So what I wish we would do is move this forward. It's less about who wins than, than finally fixing this. I've been a, in law enforcement in this valley for 31 years. For 31 years, one party after another has been telling me we're going to secure the border, and and we haven't done it. Uh, in the last several weeks, uh, in defining the border, uh, it's moved away from just the wall. Even the president yesterday didn't use the, he referenced a wall, but he also talked about a barrier. And uh, he referenced in his speech to the nation a couple of weeks ago that the Democrats, or some Democrats, had suggested that it be a steel, be steel fencing, a slat fencing. And again, the, the slat fencing, uh, uh, they made fun of it last night on Saturday Night Live because they said, well, can't you just pass drugs through those slats or couldn't you even pass a young child through those? So what's your answer to that? Is it, is it better to see through the wall or is that wall too porous? No, this is, um, is part of the problem, and I guess it's frustrating to me uh, because it's a great academic exercise. It's fun to uh, speculate about these things. Unless you live here, uh, then this is very much my life uh, that we're poking fun at. We, I think we do need to see through the barrier. Uh, the fact that you could potentially pass things through there, uh, specifically drugs, uh, you can fire projectiles over a 30-foot-high concrete wall, and they were already planning to do that in Mexico. We know that they were building uh, air cannons and uh, looking at ultralight aircraft and drones as a way to transport drugs over a uh, solid physical barrier. So the, the point is we're always going to have to support a physical barrier, whether you call it a wall. Uh, the semantics of it are not interesting to me. Uh, we're always going to have to support that with technology, human resources, because a wall that is not maintained, that is not monitored and is not enforced is merely an impediment, and we need to do better than that. So it's going to be a very complex solution. Uh, the border is not one thing. It's very different in my county than from other counties. 
so we really need thoughtful discussion on this, and um, sometimes that's absent from our political discourse in this country. Is it, uh, I guess, some opponents of the wall would say that when the president goes down to the border and talks with sheriffs, whether it's yourself or your colleagues, or talks to Border Patrol agents, he's just going to get one side of the story. He's just going to get the side of law enforcement, which is going to ask for more resources uh, to make their job easier. Is there, is there, is there something to that? No, I'll tell you that I am a Republican sheriff, and I'm I'm proud to be a Republican. I'm I'm more of a traditional Republican than I think my party maybe has become. But I'm not a mouthpiece for the President of the United States, and I have been critical when I thought his um, discussions of this issue were not helpful. Um, And it's not. You call the wall medieval, a medieval medieval solution. Um, I coined the phrase, and I I stand by that. If we were still talking about a a 30 foot high concrete wall over 2,000 miles, of international barrier that we somehow could just build and walk away and say, yeehaw, we solved the problem. That is a medieval solution. I stand by that. But the president's, like all people that go into a job, and the president's no different, um, you adapt to the job, you learn more, you talk to experts, and his, his position on this has evolved. And it's not about making my job easier. It's about making our community and, and our country safer. Uh, last week alone, my deputies uh, interdicted 14 pounds pounds, mind you, of heroin, and 10,000 fentanyl pills. Jesus. When I interdict those here, well, they don't go to other places in this country that would pr- prompt uh, criminality associated with addiction, uh, overdoses. So we really have a very fundamental public safety problem that, that doesn't just reside in my county, but comes through my county and affects uh, the national landscape. So it's not about making my job easier. It's about making our country safer, and it's about having some embrace of human rights about the humanitarian aspect of this, which is pronounced. Are you, as a sheriff uh, in in Pima County, Arizona, have you ever had any communication with your uh, law enforcement official on the other side of the border in in the state of Mexico, whichever that state is? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, We have communications with uh, our Sonoran equivalents, um, we're in the state of Arizona. Uh, across from us is the state of Sonora. And here's another thing that we don't talk about is our my counterparts on the other side of the border, guess what? They would like the border secure. And because we're so self-centered in the United States, we're so worried about what's coming north. Uh, my Mexican counterparts are worried about what's going south, and that's guns and money. And that's feeding the cartel in a horrific level of violence in, in Mexico and Central America because of our appetite for illegal drugs, and then we're channeling those, the money and the guns back across the border to fuel the cartels. Sheriff Napier, stand by. We do have to break for some commercials, but we want to continue with another segment. We're talking with Sheriff Mark Napier of Pima County, Arizona, joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway and providing some significant perspective on the problem at the southern border. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. 
Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Sheriff Mark Napier uh, joins us, and uh, he is with Pima County, Arizona. And my question to you, uh, Sheriff, you mentioned that you've been in the Valley for 31 years, and you're a a recently uh, elected uh, sheriff and a Republican sheriff down there. My question to you is, uh, of the the structures that have been built there, uh, how long have they been built there, and were they built there by... uh, uh, Democratic Congresses in the past. I mean, do Democrats take some responsibility for providing funding for some of the things that have been built and are in place now? Uh, absolutely. Um, there are vehicle intrusion barriers in my county, which have been there for some time, and I believe were built under a Democrat administration. 2006. Uh, but, but to be honest, there are, are many, many places in my county where the border is nothing. And I'm not speaking figuratively. I mean, there is nothing there, not a fence, not a, a barrier of any type to differentiate. There's some survey pylons, but there's literally nothing there. Um, and in, in the mountains outside of Sasabi and Arabaca, uh, there's a very remote areas where there simply is nothing there. And um, now we do have some technology to be able to interdict uh, or detect um, unauthorized access. But the human resources are so far back from that area that often when they they do come across, um, they just kind of blend into the desert and disappear. When you run or your men and women run into a group of people trying to sneak into the United States, do you apprehend them or are they apprehended by the Border Patrol? What is the liaison between the two entities? Well, we stay in our respective lanes. Uh, My lane is public safety in Pima County and the Border Patrol is in task with federal immigration uh, enforcement. Now, when my deputies come across somebody that they have belief or have reasonable belief, maybe in this country without proper documentation, they do what we would do any time that we have reason to believe there's a federal crime being committed. We detain the person and call the federal authorities, that being Border Patrol. I have about 500 uh, sworn officers on my department, a total of 1,500 on on my agency, but there are 4,000 Border Patrol agents in the Tucson sector, so they have much more uh, robust resources than I. Uh, so when my deputies come across somebody, uh, we uh, notify the Border Patrol. What's interesting is that about 80% of the time my department calls Border Patrol. It is at the bequest of a migrant who is lost in the desert and in distress. Uh, they call 911, and we go out, and either my uh, my assets or Border Patrol their assets go out to, to rescue these people. Uh, over 100 bodies a year are recovered in the deserts of my county alone. Um, and we have no no idea how many bodies are out there. Don't you have a refrigerator in your county that deals with 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 deceased individuals? We Did do, I hear uh, that? Did uh, I read or hear that from someone else? Is that accurate? Uh, no, that's uh, absolutely accurate. We have an industrial type refrigerator outside of our Aho uh, substation, which is about 125 miles west of where I'm at right now. And the only purpose for that is to store human remains uh, that we recover. So to add the, the argument that this is not a humanitarian crisis is, is simply silly. And some of these arguments being posed by people on both sides um, are really getting the point of kind of being a little bit on the silly side. Let's, let's knock this off and sit down and rationally look at this. Uh, we have a fundamental problem that's really unimpeachable. 
And this is the country. We, we won World War II. We put a man on the moon. We survived a bitter civil war to become a bit, better nation. You want me to believe that the country that did those things cannot solve this problem? Oh, come on. We, we just have to have the political will to do it. Speaking of political will, uh, a popular movement around the United States uh, for many, many years has been major cities and even smaller cities that have become sanctuary cities. They have declined to support and, and work with ICE uh, uh, with their local police departments. They're, they're directed not to cooperate with them. How important is that? In other words, as, as a sheriff on the border who's trying to stop people from coming into the country, what is your reaction to muni- municipalities or police departments that refuse to cooperate with ICE? Are they doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Um, it, it's not a black-and-white proposition, and I have a philosophical problem with people that take an oath, and we do. We take an oath to support, defend the Constitution, and to enforce and obey the laws of our country and our state and our locality. To violate that oath is, is incorrect from a philosophical standpoint. There are three branches of government, a branch that enforces the law, a branch that makes the law, and a branch that interprets the law. I'm in the enforce the law, the executive branch. And there's a reason there are three branches. If we as a country do not believe that the law is correct, there is a process to change the law. But please do not ask law enforcement to ignore the law. You don't want to empower law enforcement with the power to decide good laws versus bad laws, laws we follow, laws we don't. That's a slippery slope, and I'm just um, uncomfortable with that. Right. We had a – I attended a forum for – the people that want to be uh, men and women who want to be the new mayor of Chicago yesterday, and all of them uh, have said that the police department should not cooperate with ICE. I mean, they want to continue and expand the sanctuary city uh, designation of Chicago. Michael Bauer is here. He is a Democrat. He has a question for you, and we also have a Republican question. Go ahead. For sure. Let me uh, thank you for being on the program tonight. Yes. Because I think all of us are finding... Uh, your remarks are riveting. Thank you. And, uh, and it's easy for us 2,000 miles away to opine, but you're right there dealing with this crisis, and so I think we're all um, fascinated by your comments. Of the 125 miles that your county has along the border, is as much of that on land that is privately owned? And if, and if so, are the private landowners uh, voluntarily willing to have a physical barrier built on their land? Well, that's an excellent question, and thank you for that. Um, My county is very diverse, and one of the nuances of my county that's very peculiar is that we have a Native American reservation that actually transcends the international border, and that accounts for about 70 miles of the international border in my county. Um, And so there will be, if we're ever going to put a barrier across there, um, and you embrace the concept as I do, that that is a sovereign nation, uh, there would be some land use problems. We also have environmentally sensitive lands out in the western part of my county that I think people would have a problem constructing what we traditionally think of as a wall through there. So th- that's my point in the, in the discourse about this. We, we get caught up in the idea of the two words that stop all thinking on both sides, and right. they are the wall. And once we say that, people stop thinking, they stop listening, they stop paying attention. So, so all I would ask the country to do is to just think about this a little more carefully. There, there's 2,000 miles of a border. It's, it's private land. It's public lands, tribal nations, waterways, all kinds of different things. 
let's put up physical barriers where they make sense. And they can add to the safety and security of our nation, disincentivize people from coming across and making this perilous journey. Can, we can they do that? Let's, let's do technology and human resources. Sheriff, can the, can the federal government uh, dictate and demand that barriers would be built on Indian reservations, or is that covered by Indian uh, treaties? I think that's a question better addressed to um, uh, legal minds uh, more sophisticated than mine. Um, I think there would be some issues because we have generally thought of uh, Native American reservations as a sovereign nation. So I think mm-hmm. there would be some legal problems there, but I don't think they're insurmountable. It's, a, okay. it's again, is, is let's sit down, let's talk about this, let's find a way forward. And Good. I think there is definitely a way forward Good. here. One more thing that city slickers don't know much about. Uh, let's go to Jeff Hom. He's got a question for you. So um, I found your comment earlier interesting about uh, the Sonoran authorities, the state that's opposite the border um, in Mexico, j- has just as much stake in the game of, of stopping this illegal activity as, as the United States does, especially when you consider that between September of 2017 and June of 2018, there were 113 political candidates for Mexican office who were assassinated by cartels. And so can you talk a little bit more, because especially when you talk about the, the us versus them, people sometimes get into the mindset that everybody in Mexico wants to send everybody into the United States and, and vice versa. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of unappreciated hardship um, that uh, Mexican government officials are dealing with as part of this issue as well. So could you expand on that a little bit more? Sure. There, there are some estimates that I've read that in 2017, there may have been as many as, as 26,000 drug-related homicides in Mexico. Were that to be true, it would be the second deadliest armed conflict in the world. Um, this is a terrific issue for human rights. And, you know, the other thing that we don't talk about enough, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian person. I'm in public service. I've been there my whole life. The Mexican people are not our enemy. The people in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, they're not our enemy. They're our neighbors. They're our trading partners. They're our friends. And, and we can embrace border security without being racist, without hating anyone, because hate doesn't reside in my heart. Uh, but they're living through some very, very desperate times. And that's why we see people making these desperate decisions. So unlike Speaker Pelosi, who says a wall is immoral, I would counter that a system that incentivizes a man in Guatemala to take his minor children by the hand and walk hundreds and hundreds of miles through terrible environmental and climate conditions and criminality to get to the border in hopes that they could walk across for a better life, that system is immoral. Thank you. Not a system that would disincentivize that behavior. As, as a Christian and humanitarian, I want to disincentivize that very, very dangerous behavior. And then let's make these people in Washington, D.C. fix the immigration system. And, and President Trump talked a little bit about that last and time. And I think that strikes a perfect balance. Thank you. Mike Miller's yeah, got I, a comment. I, I'm trained as an economist, and, and your reference to incentives is, is spot on. But, see, here's the issue. You mentioned, you know, we can put a man on the moon. But, see, that was a technical thing based upon physics, and physics is different than economics and human interaction. Milton Friedman noticed this decades ago. If you have a country with poor people next to a country that is rich and willing to give welfare payments, you will always have a problem at the border. If we would, that's, it isn't like the man on the moon. This is much, much harder than putting a man on the moon. We've got to pause. Uh, Sheriff, uh, we've only, we only arranged to do two segments. We'd love to have you uh, do, be on again. 
would you like to stay for another 15 minutes, or can we invite you back in a couple of weeks? I would be happy to stay for another uh, second. Will do. Back shortly from Chicago. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Stumont back in Chicago. We've got a little uh, Donnybrook, verbal Donnybrook between our guests around the table, but uh, we've got a sheriff a couple of thousand miles away keeping peace. Uh, Sheriff Mark Napier joins us. He is with Pima County, Arizona. Uh, That's 125 uh, uh, miles uh, neighboring uh, Mexico. And also, at one of the uh, one of the country's largest Indian reservations is in his district as well, uh, or his sector. So, uh, Sheriff, uh, thank you very much for agreeing to do a, a third segment with us. We've had a lot of people say that you're you're one of the best guests we've ever had, and we really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, I want thank to talk you. about the way in which the president is trying to sell his idea. Uh, we've seen in the last 48 hours he's 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 backing a little bit away from the use of the wall. He's talking about you know barriers of, of other kinds, but he has talked about the threat in his addresses to the nation. He's talked about a threat of terrorism, a humanitarian threat, a drug threat, a gang threat, um, and uh, and I want to I want to get your sense. Which of those threats, based on what you know and what you see every day, what is the most significant of those threats to your county? Well, it's, it's very thoughtful. The president has moved away from um, uh, excessive discussion of illegal immigration, which I thought uh, was a bad tactic. If you, if you focus on uh, the national security concern, public safety, and the uh, humanitarian issue, in my estimation, those are unimpeachable arguments. In, in my world, of course, I'm a sheriff. I'm tasked and elected to maintain public safety in my county, so I would be biased toward that, as I think most Americans would. Uh, we know that we have an opiate crisis that's causing overdoses across our entire nation. Uh, we've not seen anything like this. This is a public health emergency. We're not talking enough about the scourge of methamphetamine that brings with it a whole other form of criminality. And then the associated collateral damage of this, on the societal cost of an overdose, is an EMS response, uh, an autopsy, a family shattered uh, by a death. So I would say the public safety threat is, is, is very, very pronounced. Um, we're dealing with people that have unlimited resources, the alternate entrepreneurs, which are drug trafficking organizations. The idea that uh, the Democrats are floating, which I find to be objectionable, is the idea that they're correct. Most of the drugs right now are coming through the ports of entry because they're a vulnerability. So the, the notion that we could simply shore up the ports of entry and that that would solve the problem is, is logically flawed because that would surmise that the drug cartels on the other side of the border would go, 
well, they short up the ports of entry. I guess I've got to get a job at the factory now. Well, that's <laughs> silly. Um, that's not going to happen. And, and we're going to have to continually be nimble to continually defeat an opponent that is, is, is very entrepreneurial, has unlimited resources, will continue to try to defeat wherever our vulnerabilities are. So I think the public safety threat is very pronounced, very real, and it's unimpeachable. Michael Carbonacci has a question for you. Yeah, and first of all, thank you again for your service and what you're doing down there. I used to be a prosecutor, and I know that sheriffs are the front line on this. And you mentioned the opioid crisis. From what I understand, it's transformed uh, sheriffs around the country from law enforcement to social workers to, um, to, to paramedics to a whole variety of roles. So thanks for what you're doing there. We were talking before about, uh, and you mentioned the, the subject of racism, um, about so much of this conversation about legal immigration and illegal immigration kind of blends different types of immigrants together, refugees and immigration. You mentioned you've been in the Valley for 30 years. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen immigration change in the Valley? If you've seen more refugees coming up from countries like El Salvador and Honduras, or if it's switched from mostly Mexican to Latin American, Central American, how has the immigrant population change that you've seen coming up? Well, it could not be any more different than it was, um, say, 10 years ago. <clears throat> 10 years ago, it was primarily people of Mexican descent. It was primarily single males coming here to either traffic. They were either trafficking drugs or they were coming here for, um, for employment. Now, uh, per, a majority percentage of the people um, coming to this country are OTMs other than Mexicans, which are Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, um, these countries in Central America, and, and really all over the world. And we've seen a definite change toward family units. Uh, family units used to be uh, a rarity, and now they're more common to almost be the majority. So we've seen that, and, and as we've seen, the system has had, had trouble adapting to that because uh, the, we were ill-equipped to deal with family units coming here for obvious housing uh, reasons, uh, the rules around asylum of how long you have to keep them. And the other thing that's been troubling, and it's not gotten enough press, and I'm not sure why, just because a male um, shows up at a border uh, yes. station or comes across the border with uh, holding the hand of a minor child, that doesn't mean that person has any association, custodial or otherwise, with that child. Thank you. And if I come across and I'm holding the hand of a four-year-old little girl and I have an extensive criminal record and we cannot associate this child with me in any way, we cannot simply give that child back to somebody. It's not like a child comes with a title like a car where you could check the VIN and the title, and, oh, yes, you belong to Jose. Um, it's not that simple. And, and ICE and Border Patrol have gotten blasted for actually trying as best they can in a very difficult circumstance to make sure that we only have these uh, family units where we actually have a familial relationship with the, uh, the child. What is the single – for those listening uh, to Beyond the Beltway this evening from coast to coast and – border to border and around the world on our website, what's the most significant thing the average American doesn't really know about this crisis and about your job? Uh, they, don't, they don't know what the border is, and it, it, it causes me and other sheriffs a lot of irritation, is that political figures will come down to the border. They go to a port of entry. They stand there. They get their picture taken with some guys in uniform behind them. They fly back to Washington, D.C. as experts on the border. Well, that's ludicrous. You've not even been to the border yet. Um, it's hard for people in other parts of the country to imagine that my county is 9,200 square miles. Uh, that's hard to imagine in other parts of, of this country. 
and that you can be in one county and have 125 linear miles of exposure to the international border. The border is exceptionally diverse. It is not a soundbite. We'll never, we'll never solve this problem with a soundbite. Uh, we'll never solve it with partisan bickering. We'll never solve it with ideology because it's too diverse and it's too complex of a problem. But I reject the assertion, and, and I, I understand the other person's point about the moon, but I, I would object. Kennedy said in 10 years we'll put a man on the moon, which was inconceivable at the time he said it. And he said in his speech, we do not do these things because they're easy. We do them because they're hard. The complexities of putting a man on the moon is in the realm of hard science. We're talking about social science, but the complexities are no less um, significant. And I think this country that can do something in the hard science like that, in the social science arena of what we're trying to do today, we ought to be able to move this ball forward. So the diversity of the border, the complexity of the issue is something that the majority of Americans don't understand. And unfortunately, that once we hear two words, people stop listening on both sides of the political aisle. All you've got to say is the wall, and people stop listening. Michael Bauer's got another follow-up question for you. So, Sheriff, I'd like to ask you whether you yourself, your fellow sheriffs, and the residents of your county uh, believe that the political will exists in Washington, that we will be able to actually do something to create a more effective border security, or whether you think this problem is just going to keep going on uh, unresolved for years to come? Well, I would say, with respect to sheriffs, um, we're not into no-win scenarios. Uh, we're elected by popular vote in our respective counties to solve difficult problems, so no-win scenarios don't enter into the intellectual vernacular of how a sheriff sees the world. So, no, the sheriffs don't, don't, don't believe this is insolvable. Um, we're faced with difficult problems all the time, and we're, we're asked to solve those. We believe that we can do this. Um, the political will to do so, um, I don't know. I, I sometimes lose faith. Uh, we're so, so entrenched about who wins and, and partisan bickering uh, that I, I sometimes, um, I honestly feel melancholy about it a lot because I have a two-year-old granddaughter, and I want her to grow up in a, in a wonderful world in the meritocracy of the United States of America that I grew up in and has treated me very well. But if we don't get our act together in Washington, D.C., I, I, I'm troubled by that. I do think we can solve this. There is a solution out there, but it's a comprehensive one. It involves technology, human resources, physical barriers, a restructuring of our immigration program that provides a legal pathway for people to come here who are law-abiding and simply want to escape conditions that you and I can't imagine. I mean, we're all sitting around the radio, or I'm sitting in my home office. We have our bellies full of food, a roof over our head. We're relatively safe. We're comfortable. There are people in other parts of the world making desperate decisions that we cannot imagine. Yeah, right. People that want to come here for a better life and want to work and support yeah. their families, there, there ought to be a, a way for them to do that that makes sense. Sheriff, have you had any conversation or been part of a group that has met with President Trump? I've not met uh, directly with the uh, president. We've met, uh, sheriffs have met multiple times with Secretary Nielsen. Uh, the sheriffs published uh, a position paper on uh, immigration and border security uh, that we published uh, within the last week. Forty-two sheriffs out in my part of the world signed on to that. We're very proud of it. It's a very nonpartisan, common-sense approach. Uh, it can be found on the Arizona Sheriff's Association's uh, website, um, and we have sent that back to Washington, D.C. I know that it's gone to the Homeland Security um, Department. I had a conversation with the commissioner 
of Customs and Border Protection uh, last week um, on the phone, just he and I, and he mentioned that he'd seen that, and he was very proud of the effort that the sheriffs did to try to get the word well, one, back to Washington. One, one thing I'd like to say before we uh, we we got to wrap this up, but you know. At the beginning of the program or the interview, I mentioned that you once referred to the wall as a medieval solution. Uh, if you do a Google search, that's going to come up for you. Uh, but here's my concern. And by the way, this is a direct appeal to the President of the United States, okay? You're not asking me to do this, okay? But I got to tell you, Donald Trump, Mr. President, you should fly Sheriff Mark yep. Napier. Absolutely. To the White House. Thank you, Sheriff Napier. Don't Absolutely. let anybody else into the room. <laughs> Just let him talk to you for an hour. Uh, you may not agree with everything, but this is a man on the front lines who deserves to be heard. Sheriff Napier, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you, you, Sheriff. Thank you, Sheriff. Bruce Dumont, Chicago. Mark Cabanon, put that on the record. I just want to say that, Sheriff Napier, if you're still watching, we're going to have a new mayor in a couple months if you want to apply for police chief here in the city. Yeah. We'd love to, love <laughs> to see your resume. Start recruit you. Let's see your resume. But you know here. what? Let's just By talk the way, there's, it's 14 below zero with eight inches of snow today. <laughs> you're probably in a better deal than us right now. <laughs> but it's smaller. But it's yeah. a smaller, smaller, yeah. smaller geography. Significantly smaller border um, as well. Smaller border. Let's just, take, let's just go around the starting, starting with you, Jeff. Uh, reaction to the, the last three segments. Um, I, th- again, I thought it was incredibly informative. Um, I think that he, uh, when I saw the, uh, the email that you sent us about, uh, yeah. his appearance I, on yeah, some I of the other, yeah. on, on some of the other cable nets, yeah. I thought he was going to come in here and be like, nope, the wall's stupid, like, end all. And it was, and he was very obviously very reasoned, very thoughtful evidence of the fact that he has to live with this every day. He's been in office for two and a half years at this point. Um, and uh, it was great. I mean, and I he agreed with the president's comments of yesterday. Yeah. And and yeah, what was great, but, but, is but he disagreed he with other points. Yes, as well. well, yes, he, he did. He brought up organically many things that I wanted to bring up about the debate, like the the just because a uh, a minor child is with a person doesn't oh, yeah. mean that they're right. related, yeah. right? That's where a lot of the quote unquote family yeah. separations come from. A like lot Miller. of the challenges. Very thoughtful, and again, thinking I, I always think as an economist. Let's assume he says that his is pretty much an open border just because of the nature of the land. If we put large barriers and so forth that make it much more difficult to get in the other parts of the Mexican-U.S. border, guess where they're going to go? And he made that perfectly clear. They're not going to stop trying to get into the U.S. just because we put up a wall. What they're going to do is they're going to go into the parts of well, they'll Arizona go into the in, they'll go into the inter- Indian reservation. Well, that was exactly an interesting right. thing that I didn't they even know was a they can get in. The, the Indi- Indian reservation, honestly, was something that I hadn't thought was Never possible, thought about that. and and is is really complicated, right? Very complicated. And so, so my point is that this is this has to be a you know when you say they won't you won't know, be can't have a two thousand mile wall. We have to think 2,000 miles no. because people will always go to the weakest link of the chain, and they will go to where he is, and his, his life's going to get miserable. Yeah. Mike Krabbenage, yeah. your reaction to this, sure. It just blew me away. Uh, I, love, I, I had no idea about the Native American land being in his area and having to coordinate not just with the U.S. government and the Mexican government, but a sovereign nation on top of that yeah. in his area. Fascinating. I love the fact that he said two things. Please, no more photo ops, whether it's the president or a member of Congress coming out, right. wanting to pose with a guard, get back to the airport. Or Jim Acosta. Or anybody doing it. <laughs> Second of all, listen to the locals. I'm definitely going to pull up a copy of this report that he said that he yes. and the other sheriffs worked on. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, Bruce, 
if those sheriffs came in with a copy of this report and they could sit down with a White House official, I think the locals, as he said, when the planes leave and the lights go down, the locals have to live with this every day. I really appreciated him distinguishing, as he said, in his 30-year career between the nature of migration that he's seen, you know, single guys coming up here for jobs versus families coming up here fleeing terrorism in their home mm -hmm. country. We've seen a change, and we need a, a, an, we need a, an immigration policy that can, that can service all of that and address all of those issues. Michael Bauer. Um, I found the sheriff fascinating. I think I'm, I'm walking away from the discussion with him actually somewhat depressed. Um, he talked at length. He's depressed. He said he was well, depressed. Well, and I think I'm depressed. Melancholy. No, no. Melancholy. Because, melancholy. Because he, um, he talked about the complexity of this issue, and the complexity of the resolution of this issue. Yeah. And, and I asked him a specific question because I actually am very doubtful that the political will exists in Washington to come up with a comprehensive solution, and that's what's needed. A, there is no silver bullet. Yeah. I, I and I don't find, think we have the capability of doing this. I, I did find it interesting that he did kind of, I hope, put an end to any discussion that has within the Democratic Party to abolish ICE because they do such immoral things. You remember all the horrible things they said about ICE agents and yeah, so yes. forth. See, that's what I'm saying, Michael, about yeah. the, well, right the, he, the party is moving toward uh, – liberals I love, when, leftists well, really well, scare and, me. When he brought up the statistics, the whole – He says you can't be doing that. I, 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 I don't like the idea. That's like when Mr. Obama did the DACA thing. I don't like that because that's not his thing to do. And if, he didn't uh, have and the constitutional authority. He did yes. not. And, right. if, I agree. and if Trump does anything like this, I will be dead set against it because he yes. doesn't have yes. the authority. I, I agree with and you. And it bothers me when all those people in, in California and so forth say that they think they have decided you know it's immoral. Before we move too far, far off what, the immorality uh, thing. Uh, I want to come back to that. But the, the one other thing that I think this comes down to, it, 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 it came down to the whole discussion when, when several months ago, Several weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the criminal justice reform. It really comes down to who, who is blowing in the president's ear. Mm. And in criminal justice reform, it was Jared Kushner. Yes. It was Jared Kushner because he had a personal reason to be there. And Lindsey Graham. And, and right. Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham. But, but you know, and I, can see, I can see and hear Jared Kushner sitting down at a table with Sheriff Napier across from him mm -hmm. and hearing his story. I just wish, as I pleaded yeah, at the end of the story, I wish that Donald Trump had the ability to listen to this guy. And by the way, he, he, we have found one very articulate sheriff tonight. Oh there are certainly many more. But, I, but when he goes in and he talks to a, a big group of sheriffs and, and it's on TV, you know, he's, he, he's talking at them. He's not listening to them. Right. I want to see Donald Trump listening to someone. You know, I've waited two years for Donald Trump to show me that his ears work as well as his mouth. Okay, so One of the things I'm serious about that. Back to my point, though. Oh, man. And, and I know. Then let's. Open the government up and have this conversation oh, okay. because this is a thoughtful process that we have to bring people into. And why do we have? Well, before we move to, before but I don't see. I don't think you need the government open. In this particular case, you need Donald Trump's mind open. <laughs> you need someone to open his mind and say, "Here's a guy." Now again, he'll probably never get there because he made a crack about a, the medieval solution. So he's probably on the president's uh, S list, but he shouldn't be. 
I mean, you've heard for the last 45 minutes, you've heard a guy at the border who, who, who lives it. He's been there for 31 years. He's been watching it for the last two years professionally. This is a guy that the president should be listening to. Now, not the only one, but I want more specifics. And you know who else I want, and then i got to go. <laughs> I'd like to see, I think he just filled not, if not Ross Perot, I want to see somebody with charts. His presentation Saturday could have been far more effective if he did charts like Ross Perot. I, bet the I mean, charts are meme fodder, though. So. We're out of time with our guests. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks Thank to you. Thanks, uh, Dan Dorfman and Sam Greenberg and Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of this program. This is Bruce Dumont. Goodbye from sh- Chicago. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.